Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 1st of February 2009, entitled, All Things Reconciled, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 23. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Okay, we'll be taking our reading this evening from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word beginning in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossa, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our God Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras our Dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your spirit. This cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Father, we thank you again, see, for the time that we have. Lord, for the 
privilege to be able to be here for your word that we've just read from, for your spirit that lives within. We thank you, Father, that as we commit this time into your hands this evening, Lord, that we can come to you with confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who our Savior is. And Lord, we pray that you would just meet with us this evening, that you would meet the needs of each and every heart. We pray, Lord, that some way, somehow, that as our hearts are spoken to, that, Lord, there might be something in some way, even if just a small way, Lord, that we might be made more like our Savior than when we came. We give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory, for it is in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We began looking at this passage this morning. Our overall thought, our title taken from verse 20 of the reading, All Things Reconciled. All Things Reconciled. We looked first as we looked at, of course, the Apostle Paul on behalf of himself and Timothy under inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing these words we looked down through verse 8 and we saw the declaration of just who it was that these words were being written to. And of course it was to them that had heard, first of all, the gospel of truth. And not only had they heard it, but then they had known the grace of God in truth. So they had not only heard the gospel, but they had acted upon it. And the grace of God had become a reality in our lives. So he's writing to Christians that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we looked at the simple message of all that he went through there in those first eight verses of what these had done, that they had that assurance, that confidence of knowing that they were saved. And then secondly, as we looked at verses 9 through 11, we began there and we saw then the desires that the Apostle Paul had for these people. There was a special relationship that was there. And of course that special relationship was because of the bond that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at three of those things this morning that he desired very much for these that had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But of course our Christian walk doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. And so we saw that the first thing that he wanted was for them to know God's will, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And we talked about how that, uh, that will can only be known uh, from God through his word. Uh, it's not something that we can know through man and man's wisdom, but to know the perfect will of God. Also to have wisdom and spiritual understanding. And we, we talked about that. We talked about what spiritual uh, wisdom was and spiritual understanding. And of course, spiritual wisdom uh, coming only from God, from God's Word, being able to, uh, to take and, and, and note the precepts, the principles that God has given us there. And of course, then to be able to spiritually understand those which can only come through the Holy Spirit, to be able to to take them and, and, and apply them in our lives, which will result then in the next thing, to walk worthy of the Lord in a way that would please Him. 
And so we see this, this progression of, first of all, knowing God's will for exactly where God wants my life to be, and then through spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes from God's words, being able to walk a Christian life that would be pleasing to God. We're in His will. We're away from our own. We're pleasing Him. We're not pleasing ourselves. And I want you to notice the next thing then. He says, he says in verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And then notice he says, being fruitful to every good work. Now, folks, the reality is that if we are living according to God's will, and if we're doing that with His wisdom and with spiritual understanding, if we're walking in our Christian daily lives a walk that is worthy of our Lord, we said if we're going to take the name Christian, if we're going to call ourselves by His name, then we ought to be walking in a way that would bring honor to that name. If we are doing those things, then the truth is that spiritual fruit is going to be a natural byproduct of our lives. You see, spiritual fruit is something that should come naturally in our lives when we are filled and controlled by God through the power of His Spirit. We find that here Paul wants their, their work. He says, being fruitful in every good work. He wants their work to, to bring some kind of results, to be, to be worth something, to be profitable if you would. And, of course, the Scriptures teach us about spiritual fruit. And many times when we think of spiritual fruit, probably the first place that comes to mind would be the a book of Galatians chapter 5. And of course we find that certainly in Galatians chapter 5 that if we look there in verse 22 and 23 that we have what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. As so we find that one of the ways that spiritual fruit will be shown in our lives is, if you would, uh, in our attitudes. <laughs> That's really what this is all about. It's our attitudes which will allow others to see these things that many times are not easy for us in the flesh but we should come naturally in the Spirit. I want you to look one other place in the book of Romans chapter 6. We find that in verse 22, the Bible says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. Well, now, if the fruit is unto holiness, then we see that the fruit that should be coming from a Christian's life that is controlled by God 
is not only the fruit of the Spirit should be a natural byproduct of that, our attitudes, but also our actions. Here we find that it's a fruit unto holiness. It has to do with the way that they live and the way that they're walking. And then if you turn just over a few more pages in Romans chapter 16 and verse 5, Paul says, likewise, greet the church that is in your house. Listen, salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So this one was a first fruits of a believer. And so we see another way that the Scripture refers to fruits in the Christian's life is the conversions, the others that are one to Christ through our witness, through our life. And so what the Apostle Paul is praying for, for, for this church, for these Christians, is that their lives would be controlled by God, that they would know the will of God, that they would know that, that spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes from Him, that they would walk worthy of that life, and that this life that then they are then walking that is controlled by God would bring forth fruits. And those fruits should be seen in their attitudes. It should be seen in their actions. It should be seen in their witness, the converts that, that comes from them. So we find that in these passages that uh, we look here that, again, fruit is something that I've said many times from this pulpit is something that grows naturally. You can't force an orange tree to grow oranges. A healthy orange tree grows oranges. You can't force an apple tree to grow apples. When the tree is healthy, it naturally produces apples in its season. The same thing with a Christian. You know, you can't force a Christian to have spiritual fruit. But if a Christian is healthy, then that will be a natural process from that life that is centered in the will of God that is operating not in man's knowledge and wisdom, but that which can only come from God, that is walking a life that is worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that these fruits might be seen in your life. And, of course, he goes on, if you'll look into uh, the uh, latter part of that verse, then he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, this is not what he started. The word knowledge when he started was the knowledge of the fullness of God's will, knowing the, the fullness of the knowledge of God's will. Here he's speaking about to increase in the knowledge of God. This is, you know, really the only way that spiritual growth can take place in a Christian's life. We know that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he tells us to desire the sincere milk of the word that you what? Grow thereby. We should desire to be fed spiritually so that we can grow as Christians. Folks, all too often, people want to grow simply through their experiences, through their emotions of the things that they, that they feel. And, and you know, we, we can learn. We should learn from our experiences. We should learn from our emotions and things that take place within us. But the truth is, is that apart from God's Word, you know, we can't even properly 
evaluate our experiences and our emotions. The Bible gives us a very clear warning that we have to be careful of our own heart because it's deceitful above all things. We find that when a person does not have sound biblical knowledge, a knowledge that is built on a solid biblical foundation, all too often they can be led astray. The Bible talks about them being knocked about by every wind of doctrine. Somebody comes along and says, this is the truth, and they go after it. Somebody else comes along and says, no, this is the truth, and they go after it. But you see, the truth is we need to grow in the knowledge of God. I don't want you to believe things just because that as your pastor I get up here and tell you this is so and that's it. I want to send you to God's Word. I want you to know it because God says it. Because when God tells you something, then you don't back away from it. When man tells you things, you might come along and you might change your mind about that. Peter told us something else in 2 Peter chapter 3. And notice what he says in the closing verses of that, uh, of that book. He says, beginning in verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or if you would, twist and turn and make them what they want, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. It is a difficult thing. I know that anybody that's out there that, that's not part of the church, that's never been grounded in the Word of God, that maybe knows very little about religion or Christianity in any way, I realize that they look around and they say, wow, you know, here's churches all over the place and they all say that they have the truth. Every one of them. And yet, they all say the other ones are wrong. <laughs> that they're the ones that has the truth. Well, I'll say first and foremost that true Christianity, those that have genuinely been born again, Yes, there's some different brands and breeds that are around. But there's what has been recognized and understood for years as Orthodox Christianity. There are fundamentals of the faith that as Christians we all agree on. And then there are many other things that we disagree on. And hopefully those things are not the things that are the major things, but the minor things in many cases. But the difficulty is that we live in days when all the doctrine is being pushed aside. And people say things like doctrine divides. Well, the Bible's teaching us here, yes, doctrine does divide. Doctrine is simply teaching. 
We need to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. And that will divide us. He says here, it will divide us from those that are taking and twisting the Word of God and making it suit themselves to their own destruction, he says. Many of them will stand before the Lord one day. Jesus said, they'll say unto me, Lord, Lord, I've done this in your name and I've done that in your name. I've preached, I've performed miracles, I've done all these wonderful things. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. They were never a Christian. They were never a child of God. We find that it's the Word of God that will give us our foundation. It's the Word of God whereby that we need to grow. I'm saying to you, and I say it unashamedly, that there is absolutely, positively no way that anybody will ever be able to grow spiritually and become or be a strong Christian outside of God's Word. If this book lays on the shelf and you never use it, you're going to be a weaker Christian. <laughs> if you're just getting spoon-fed when you come to church on Sundays, but yet through the week you're getting nothing, you're going to grow weaker. How many of you only eat your Sunday meals and have no other meals the rest of the week, fast the other six days. But yet a lot of people that call themselves, that's exactly all they do. They come to church and have a snack on Sundays and they don't have anything else the whole week long. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. I'm sure that you have come across, and I do not say this in a nasty way, I say it with compassion in my heart that I found too many that would call themselves Christians, and I believe that some of them are Christians, that some of them have genuinely been saved, but they've never grown. They're still babies. They still need the milk because they would choke on the meat. We find that many that I would consider friends of mine even, they would take and interpret God's Word and say, well, God's Word means this, because they've experienced such and such. So God's Word must mean this, because I've felt this and I've done this and I've seen this. And they actually use their emotions and they use their experiences to interpret God's Word. Where in fact, that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. True scriptural growth is going to be based on scriptural knowledge. When we've got God's knowledge, we can then interpret our emotions and our feelings, whether they are right or wrong, whether they are deceitful or whether they're genuine. I've said many times that the best way to recognize false doctrine and false teaching is to know the truth. You know, even the world knows that. I've used the illustration before that you know, they, they can't take a bank teller and they can't show her all the different counterfeit monies that might come through there. But they teach them to handle the real, the genuine, such that when something isn't, it suddenly it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right because they're used to handling the genuine. There is no way to survive in this world that you and I live in there is no way to have the spiritual strength that we need to fight the battles which we come to here in a moment. There is no way to do that 
outside of God's Word. You see, true spiritual growth will be based on spiritual knowledge. The spiritual growth is going to be witnessed. Again, recognize it in our lives. The Bible te teaches us Psalm 119. What's special about Psalm 119? About the Word. What else do we know about it? Anybody know? The longest chapter in your Bible. That's right. 176 verses. We'll begin at verse 1 and read through 175 tonight. All right? <laughs> Psalm 119. Turn with me, if you would, to verse 97. I want to just give you a glimpse here. You see, with true spiritual growth, there's an amazing thing. No longer does the Word of God seem boring. <laughs> you have a hunger for it. You have a love for God's Word. There's something missing in your life. You can be a Christian and not love God's Word, not have a desire before it, but you're a very weak Christian. You can't be a strong Christian and not have a desire for God's Word. He says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained from my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from the judge from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. He loves God's Word. Why? Because of what it does for him. It's sweetness to him. It helps him to be able to, to stand against his enemies. He helps him to be able to recognize what it is that's wrong, the false and the fake and those things that, that might destroy him. He can be a strong Christian. And one of the evidences of being strong is just as the psalmist. Oh, you'll have a love for God's Word. Not only that... A strong Christian will want to obey God's Word. Look with me, Wood, right back towards the back of your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Notice what he says in verses 12 to 14. I write unto you, little children, why? Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. They're Christians. I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Notice in every one of these, it's that early step in their Christian life. But he goes on, he says, then 
I write unto you, and he goes back, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. But then notice, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, the truth is, is that the Word of God, we're going to love it. But then we're going to want to live by that Word. Here we find that they had become saved, but then they had, they had become strong because the Word of God abided in them, and therefore then they were able to overcome the wicked one. Notice, if you would, in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and notice what the Word of God says in verse 3 and 4. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. You see, our faith, their faith was growing exceedingly. But I want you to keep in mind that here in Thessalonica, this was a church that from what we read, they were under great persecution and they were under great tribulation. They were not having an easy time of it. And yet a church that was under great persecution and great tribulation, the great apostle says, boy, you're a strength to us. You're an encouragement to us to see you growing, to see how strong that you are in the Lord amidst all these difficult, struggling, troubled times that you live in. Notice also, if you would, in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, Notice what it says in verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. We find that it's only through genuine, growing knowledge of God that we can grow spiritually, that we can avoid the pitfalls that are all around us. Yes, it's a confusing world. Yes, there are many. It would be great if there was only one church that preached the one truth, and that was the truth that God left us, and that people didn't have to worry about anything false being taught. 
But folks, it's never been that way and it never will. But the only way, this was why that the Apostle Paul had such a burden for this church and they were praying for them and they were desiring these things in their life. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, notice what it says in verse 4 and 5. These are powerful verses. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, the problem is a lot of people say, well, I don't want to go to that church because it's boring, because they don't have enough things going on, because I don't want to hear all that preaching and teaching. Yet I'm saying to you there's only one way that we'll ever be strong Christians that will ever survive in this world, and that's that we have the knowledge of God in our lives. I know even in this congregation right here tonight, Somewhere this week, the temptations are going to come. The trials are going to come. The difficulties are going to come. You're going to be tempted to, to, to turn away from something that you know that you ought not to be doing. It's going to be there. It's a part of our lives. How many of you know people that maybe even had a great impact and a great influence on your life because of their godliness, because they loved God, because God worked through them maybe to you, and yet today that person's no longer walking with God. That person's out of church and doing their own thing. How many of you know some? Why? They were overtaken. The truth is, we don't have to. The victory is ours in the Lord's. But I'm saying to you unashamedly, may this church always, forever, proclaim and preach and teach the Word of God. May it always. I, I enjoy singing. I enjoy doing a lot of the other things we do. But nothing takes the place of God's Word Nothing will change our lives like God's Word will. That's where the real joy could, should come from. It should come from within. Not something that myself or some musician gets up and, and, and works you up into a frenzy just because of the beat to some song. It should come from God's Word. It should come from within us. It should excite us to know God's Word that we might be Strong Christians, do you notice the very next thing that he says there, and I won't dwell a long time on it, verse 11 says, strengthen with all might. Now let's just read this together, because it's all together in your Bible. If you notice where we began there in, in verse 9 and read down, it, it doesn't even stop. It just carries on. I mean, I think that this uh, whole chapter of, of some, what is it, 20 29 verses, and if I counted right, that's only made up of like six sentences in that whole chapter. They're long. It all ties together. 
For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Strengthen, he says, with all might. All might. We're going to look at that word all a little later on in the chapter, but literally to your full capacity, to all the strength that you can possibly contain and hold. With all might, not just that you can do, but notice, with all might according to his power Look back with me just a few pages in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Notice what he says beginning in verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. If we could comprehend the kind of strength that is being offered to us here in the Lord Jesus Christ, I like that verse. I've probably told you before, but I'll tell you again anyway. Of course, when Mr. Charles Spurgeon was saved as a teenager, he'd been raised in a, in a, in a Christian home. His father and his grandfather had been Congregationalist ministers and he'd spent all the time in his library there. But he got saved, genuinely saved. And of course he was in a Baptist church and they were going to take him down to the, to the river there in, in, in East Anglia and they were going to baptize him. And so he wrote home and he told his mom, told her all about what God had done in his life and how that he was going to be baptized on such and such a date. And he got a letter back from his mom. And, and the letter started out, she was all excited, said, Charles, you don't know how many years I've prayed for you and that I wanted to, you to come to know the Lord. I, I'm so happy. But she says, you know, she said, I never prayed one time for you to become a Baptist. And he quoted her back this verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, God does more than we ask of him, more than we can ever think of him. And in the lighthearted way of his baptism, as important as that was, 
But I'm talking about in your life, he's talking about here being strengthened with all might according to his power. This is the kind of power. It's not something that's just available to the few. It's available to all Christians. All Christians that are willing, where we've come to at this point in these verses, to submit themselves to God. To submit themselves to God's Word. His will, what He wants, to God's Spirit. To be filled and controlled by God Himself. It is a spiritual power that can only come through submission to God Himself. Do you know that some of us aren't as young as we used to be? And sometimes the flesh begins to show its age a little bit. But the truth is, is that even as this flesh begins to show its age and its weakness because of that age, you know that we can still be growing stronger and stronger and stronger by the day internally? It's got nothing to do with our physical strength. Even as we see things go wrong, there may be some that maybe aren't even of old age, but they've got genuine handicaps, genuine problems with their bodies that would hinder them in being to do what others are doing. We find that that's got nothing to do with the inner man being able to grow stronger and more powerful through the Spirit of God. You see, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And it requires spiritual strength to fight it. It requires putting on the spiritual armor. It requires picking up the spiritual weapon. We start a conference here in two weeks. Do you know, it wasn't just a name that we pulled out of the hat when we call it the Sword of the Spirit Conference. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's what it's all about, being strengthened spiritually through the Word of God. That's where we're going to gain that strength. He says, unto all patience and long-suffering, God's power is limitless. It is available to every believer. And it's right here unto this all patience and long-suffering. That's where we need the strength. When you face that trial, that difficulty that lies ahead of you this week, you see it really has to do, when we think of patience and long-suffering, it has to do with endurance. doesn't do any good to be the fastest one off the line if you can't endure to get to the end of the race. It doesn't matter. You've got to be able to get through patience and long-suffering. You know, what's the difference? These words are very closely Related, as a matter of fact, sometimes in talking, we would even interchange them sometimes. It's been said that patience is really more related to enduring difficult circumstances while long-suffering is enduring difficult people. <laughs> Anybody after ever endure difficult people? <laughs> we need patience and long-suffering. That's what God's got with each and every one of us. And the truth is we need the strength to be that way. But notice this now. 
patience and long-suffering is strength to get them through the hard times, the bad times, but notice he says, with joyfulness, <laughs> to be happy going through those things. You see, in ourselves, it can be extremely difficult to find joy amidst some of the difficulties of life sometimes. We get to focus and we just say, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that's happening. Paul is praying that they would not only have the patience and the long-suffering to get through those bad times, but that they would do it with joy. James writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, various types of temptations. Hmm. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, makes patience, produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, complete, wanting nothing, needing absolutely nothing. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Because even in that, God can strengthen you. God can, God can get you through it. So we find that Paul has declared that these that he's writing to are those that he's trying to express this bond of love that he genuinely cares for. And they do have a bond, a bond that can only come, as we saw in those first verses, in salvation by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then as Christians, we need more than just uh, an insurance policy to keep us burning. <laughs> we need more than insurance policy. We need more than just getting through the gate. We're here. We've got a life to live. And he's praying that once they've come to, to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they can have that absolute knowledge, that absolute confidence in that. But then he has a great desire that from the point that they become a Christian, that their lives are going to count for something, that they're going to be lived according to God's will. They're going to be seeking that spiritual wisdom and understanding that they can't get from the world. They're going to be seeking to, to live a life, to walk in a way that's worthy of the name that we take as Christians, to be fruitful in our attitudes, in our actions, in our soul winning, that our lives can have the right effect on those around us and that they can just continue to increase in the knowledge of God. Have you ever met anybody that was as smart as they could possibly get? <laughs> They just couldn't go any, any farther. <laughs> they just got so smart there was nothing else to learn. I think I've met a few that thought they were there, but uh, the truth is is that none of us ever quit learning. 
That's why it's so important. That's why it's important for you. Now, our time's running out. This service is going to come to a close. You didn't have to be here tonight. Hopefully you came to worship God, and hopefully part of your reason for being here is that God's Word might something somewhere in there would have an effect on you that would help you to be a better Christian, a stronger Christian, to face whatever that you've got to face this week. And I'm saying, folks, as Christians, you ought to be taking advantage. There is not a service that we have that we just do because we've got nothing else to do. We have our preaching services on Sunday. We have a Bible study on Sunday morning. There is not a Christian here that's so mature that you don't need Bible study. There's nobody here that is such a strong Christian that ah, one time on Sunday is enough. The truth is none of us get as much as we really need, but we're here to encourage each other. We're here to get all that we can. We all need to be here on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. You know, I don't love you any less if you're not. But I'm saying, what is it? You don't need the prayer. You don't need the Bible study. You don't need the worship and the preaching. The truth is we all need much more. And you know, this book, you know, you know something that's amazing? I mean, I, I've preached through the book of Colossians at, at least probably once or twice, all the way through verse by verse. And yet I went back and I started reading it and, and I just got all excited. God's Word never runs out. It never runs dry. There's always something fresh there to be had. There's more knowledge to be gained. With man, that's not true. You could take a biology book or a math book or an English book or whatever subject it might be, and you can take all the knowledge out of that book, and eventually you're going to get everything that it's got to teach you, and that's it. You just can't get any more from it. I've never met anybody yet that's gotten so far in this book that they couldn't get anymore. God's knowledge is inexhaustible. Now man might be able to take and know every word that's in there, but not that spiritual wisdom, that spiritual understanding that we're talking about here. He shared with them his desire for these things in their lives. And you know, that should be the desire of each and every one of us for each other. That should be our desire for our church here. And we'll come back and we'll pick up and because really as we've as we've seen these things so far, we see that the next thing Paul does something very interesting in Scripture. Because up to this point he talked to him about how he was praying for them. Them, those that were the believers, those that were the saints. And then talk about the desires that he has for them. But then in the next verses suddenly it becomes we and us. And all of us together, he as part of those in that church there. And then he moves from us. He moves to God. And, and I did something, uh, uh, you know, some people like to write in their Bibles, some don't. I, I write on anything that will help me remember more. But I just circled all those little passages. There's at least one, two, three, four, five, six times right there in so many verses that we see those all things, all things, all things. And you see, this is where that really this has taken us, all things reconcile. That's what we're wanting to get. Yes, 
It's to do with this, all that we've looked at here is part of what God has done, that reconciling work in our lives. But all things, they're all God's. Nothing would be here without Him. Nothing would last without Him. All things in heaven and in earth will be reconciled. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to spend eternity with Him, but there's going to be a reconciliation day. And the truth is, is that as, as Christians, boy, that's something that we can get excited about and look forward to. And so we'll come back here next Sunday morning, God willing, and we'll look at some more of these passages. But I've chosen for us for our closing hymn tonight. It's number 344 in your hymnals if you uh, want it there. But really it's a... It's a request. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. We're going to stand and sing this together for our closing hymn tonight. And I hope that we can mean it from our hearts. I hope that we can realize and understand that you, every individual human being here this evening, you're either saved or lost. There's nothing else. And the Lord Jesus Christ died for you. We saw that in this morning's message. And if you don't know that you're a child of God this evening, that's the first priority that ought to be in your life. But secondly, you know, if you're here and I look out and, and, and I know that most of you I pray and trust that you not only just think it, but that you know with absolute certainty that you're saved and on your way to heaven. But there's so much more to our Christian lives. And that's what he's wanting for this church here. And the thing is, it's not the big programs. It's not the big things that the world does that makes it great. Everything keeps coming back to God. His communication to us. They first had to hear the gospel before they could know His grace. And we find that as we look at as a Christian, the thing that we should desire, the sincere milk of the Word, that we can grow. And that should be our desire. All the little things. You know, you know if it's just one thing, if it takes us just that little bit further, if we can make it just a little bit further each day, a bit more like Jesus, a bit more of Him having control over our lives instead of us having that control. It's amazing what God could do. But it's there. The power is there that He has for every believer if we just submit ourselves to Him.